The title of our message both this morning and this evening is Repent and Return. You read the book of Malachi. That is the theme. Repent and return. And we look this morning in chapter number three, and we'll go back there this evening in a while. That what God wants is for us to return. That means recognize that we have been doing wrong, doing what does not agree with God's law. And we change our mind and we go back to Christ. And he says, as soon as you return, I'm there. I'm ready for you to come back. Thank the Lord it doesn't take us as long to get back right with him as it does to get wrong with him. We spend so much time running away from God. The book of Malachi, uh, let's do a little bit of review and we'll go through the points we covered this morning. The book of Malachi is written in that time period after the captivity. The children of Israel, both of both nations, Israel and Judah, were taken away captive by different world empires. And they were, uh, in captivity, told this won't last forever. There's a timer on this captivity, and God will bring you back to your homeland. They do come back. God honors His promise. They rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, which are in uh, shambles. They rebuild the temple so that they can worship God. They then gather the priests together and weed out the priests that are not supposed to be priests so that the priests can honestly and truthfully operate the office of the priesthood. And when we leave them at the end of the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, it seems like they're headed in the right direction again. We come to the book of Malachi. This is the last book in the Old Testament, both in order and chronologically. And when we come to the book of Malachi, we find again the children of Israel have left what God has told them to do, and have gone seeking after other gods. Now, before we give Israel a hard time, it'd be wise of us to look in the mirror. Because if you're human and, and you're like me, which I know you are, we battle with sin day after day. We choose to sin. We talked about that this morning. We don't fall into sin. It's not an accident. The devil didn't make you do it. You chose to sin. Because just like the Israelites, we wanted to do what we wanted to do and not what God wants to do. And so in the book of Malachi, we find a number of questions. These are questions that are not accusatory questions. They're called probing questions. They ask a question that's designed to cut through all the fluff, all the extra, right to the heart, so that the person asking the question doesn't have to say, oh, I know what you did. Your heart testifies against you. We find Jesus does this. He asks questions that cut through everything right to the heart of the matter. And God, through Malachi, will ask some of these questions. Um, I'm trying to go fast, okay? I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, There's a word that shows up in Malachi six times. It's the word wherein. It's a a Hebrew word. The modern-day translation you've heard from your children, from students, from everybody. What do you mean? What are you talking about? It's a, it's a declaration of innocence. You know what, fi- what, what is included in that? It's not just, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Prove it. Understand who the children of Israel are talking to. The Almighty God. The God who, when we recount the history of the nation Israel, is everywhere. But again, before we call Israelites out, it's best we look in the mirror. The first time something bad happens, what do we do? God, what are you doing? It's as if we take the Bible, 
and we say, I'm not talking about this right now. God, what are you doing to me? This is not fair. Why did this happen to me? Why should I have to suffer through this? This is not okay. I didn't ask for this. And we act as if God doesn't know what's best for us. And so this morning, we looked at four of the eight different areas that we need to step back and consider when we look at our Christian walk. Understand that the call in Malachi is repent and turn and return. Why? Because the Messiah is coming. 400 years after Malachi's writing, Jesus comes. I don't think it's going to be that long before we see him. And so it would be wise of us to heed the instructions that we find in Malachi. And so this morning, we talked about four. Before we do that, let's pray again, shall we? Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you to guide my thoughts. Help me only to say what you want to be said. Lord, may I be cognizant of the time. But Father, would you be glorified? Would you speak to each heart? Would we be willing to change because you've told us to? Lord, help us to live for you no matter what the cost we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we looked at some areas we must examine in our relationship with God. First of all, in verse number 2, chapter number 1, the question is asked by Israel to God, wherein hast thou loved us? What are you talking about, God? You don't love us. And when we think of who God is, that's a contradiction of the divine nature. How dare they ask that of God? What was the problem? They had some bitterness that had built up in their heart from what things had happened in the past that they had chosen, listen, chosen not to give to God. Understand everything that happens in our life is put there by God for a reason. There are no accidents in God's plan for your life. Therefore, there's no reason for us to be bitter. There is no reason for us to be resentful. There is no reason for us to be angry and lash out. Where does that lashing out come from? Selfishness. I want what I want. And the Israelites are literally accusing God of breaking the divine nature. You didn't do what you said you would do. And the truth of the matter is, and we looked in Psalm 52 to prove this, when we tell ourselves lies, our tongue becomes very sharp. Now, having a spiritual nature that's sharpened, according to the New Testament, is a good thing. We ought to sharpen each other. Our tongues ought not to be sharp. And so we must ask ourselves the question, am I resentful to God for the, con- for the state that I'm in or for the conditions of this, this situation I'm in or for the things that have happened to me? Am I resentful to God? And then in verse number 6, am I being rude to God? In verse number 6, Jehovah, through Malachi, asks the question, if, if a son has a father, he's supposed to honor him. Where's my honor? If there's a servant to his master, he's supposed to exhibit fear, a reverence. Where's my reverence? You've chosen not to do this. And what do they say? Wherein have we despised thy name? What are you talking about? We still call you Jehovah, but Jehovah had lost meaning to them. You see, when we refuse to recognize God's kingship, we call him the boss, but we don't act like he's the boss. You go to Luke chapter 6. Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why are you saying, you're the boss, you're the boss, you're the boss. I'm not doing what you tell me to do. 
It's, we have to look inside. Am I being that person to God? Now, again, I said this this morning. The first answer that comes to mind may not be the right one because it definitely wasn't the right one for the Israelites every time. And so it's wise of us to seek into our own soul, ask God for wisdom and for light. You ought to ask God, Lord, is there anything maybe that I don't know or that I've forgotten or that I've glossed over that you want me to change or that I've done against you? We ought not to be rude to the holy God of heaven. And then verse number 7. Israelites say, wherein have we polluted thee? In, in the nation of Israel, every offering to God must be pure. If you had a pure lamb, that was the one you protected in order to sacrifice it to God because God demanded a lamb without blemish and without spot. And yet we read the rest of chapter 1, what are the Israelites doing? They have a nice lamb. We're keeping that one. God, you can have the broken one, the one that has a scar, the one that maybe had a broken leg. You can have that one. Why? Because they didn't care about what the rules said. They were just doing church. We are so guilty of this. And I know who we're talking to tonight. This is the Sunday night crowd. I know that. But we can come to church because we're supposed to. We mentioned this morning we ought never to lose sight of what the why is. Why do I come to God's house? Do I come? Well, I have to be here. I got to lead the choir. I have to be here. I got a Sunday school class. I have to be here because if I don't, people will look sideways at me and say, oh, a sinner, he's slacking off in church. When I get into the habit of formal Christianity, I've lost the power of God. I've lost it. And my life is not what it ought to be. Verse number 13 tells us they've grown weary of worshiping. Look what it says. You said also, behold, what a weariness is it. Speaking to the worshiping of God in the temple. Oh, we got to go to church again. We got to take an offering again. I wonder if he's going to go long again right? The truth is still there. They have not focused on the religious exercises that they are doing. They're focused on the activity and not the person that they're worshiping. They've, they've moved into what we call spiritual apathy. I don't care. I'm here. That's good enough. It's not, all right? And then last of all, this morning, we talked about rejection. Chapter number two, we find that the nation of Israel, as they had before, had gone and married. Their sons had married daughters of people who were not Jews. This was expressly against what God had commanded them to do. And God knew what was best. Why? Because when they went outside of the Hebrew nation to marry other people, those people that they married brought in false gods. God knew that. He said, don't do it. And they said, well, God, you don't understand. Have you seen all the Jewish women around here? But look at the Philistines over there. I mean, right? Why can't we marry a couple of them? Oh, what about these people next door to us? Now, they said they're really good people. And they come up with all kinds of excuses. They say, well, Mr. Davies, don't worry. We're not going and marrying lost people. I agree. We ought not to. It also references uh, in, in uh, let's see where we at, verse number 14. 
Verse number 15, verse number 16, references the concept of adultery. And obviously, we would say, adultery is wrong. We ought not to do that. But spiritually, are we seeking pleasure outside of what God gives us boundaries for? It could be anything. It could be Facebook. It could be the shows we watch, the movies we watch, the music we listen to, the hobbies we engage in, when we engage in them. If God's not first, it's outside of bounds. It ought not to be part of our life. And yet, the Jews had rejected. Look, God, I don't care. I don't care what your law says. I want to do what I want to do. We see this exemplified in Samson. All right? Samson came to his parents and said, Hey, I found a girl in Timnath. She pleases me well. Go get her for me. Now, all things being equal, if my son says that to me, he's going to have to speak with a, one side of his mouth for a while. Any son who tells his dad what to do or where to get off, I'm not saying you should abuse your kids, but that's, that's not acceptable, right? We ought to train our children that the answer should be, yes, sir. And we have, all of us that have young children or had young children in the past, we know, right? And so this rejection of what God had designed, and the truth of the matter is, when we look through the rest of chapter 2, they're experiencing the consequences of the choices they made, and they don't see it. They're like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I don't understand. What, what? Everything's fine. And God's like, it's, it's not fine. You've been unfaithful to me. You're practicing idolatry. Anything that comes before God is idolatry, rejecting Jehovah. And so tonight, then we start in verse number 17 of chapter number 2. Verse number 17 of chapter number 2. Let's read here together. In verse 17, the Bible says, Ye have wearied the Lord with your words, as Malachi speaking to Israel. Yet ye say, Wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, Everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Or, Where is the God of judgment? We find here that one of the areas we need to consider in our life is have we become revisionists? You say, what's that mean? You understand there are revisions of books, right? They write a book and then they'll find mistakes or find new material or find new evidence and they'll rewrite them. It's called a revision, all right? What have the children of Israel done? Well, is that really? God didn't really mean it that way. You know, God says that... You shouldn't steal from people, but you know, if you see somebody drop something, they didn't know they dropped it, and so if it then comes into your possession, you know you didn't steal it, it just ended up in your hand. It's okay. Or we say, you know what, it's, you know, murder is wrong, but you know, some people change. Or maybe we'll say, well, you know, it's okay if you skip church, we understand that you need some me time. Don't revise what God's Word says. God's Word gives us specific instructions that are to be adhered to. Why? Because He said so. And the truth of the matter is, as we look at this idea of revisionists, the children of Israel were practicing false moral beliefs, false spiritual beliefs. Why? They don't see God dropping the hammer on anybody. They're obviously not paying attention. They have come out of captivity. Why were we in captivity? Because we did wrong. God judged us as a nation. But we're not in captivity right now. God's not judging us. I've been living this way for 20 years, and God hasn't killed me yet 
What's the problem? I've been doing this all my life. Is it really that big of a deal? These are things we say to ourselves, aren't they? The Bible tells us that the truth is what we ought to live by. God's, what else do we say? God loves everyone, no matter who they are. One of the things we have to be careful to when we give the gospel to people, our goal is not just to get them to pray. They need to understand that they are a sinner and that Christ is the Savior and that they have to repent from their sins in order to be saved. You can't just say, well, I'm going to save them. Keep doing what I'm doing. That's not Bible. They say, but I don't want to be controversial. I don't know what they're in, and God can work that out afterwards. We say, okay, well, all you have to do to get to heaven, just pray this prayer. That's not Bible. And yet we fall into that trap, don't we? We say, well, it's easier. All right? Or maybe, here you go, personal example. You don't have to be offended because this is me, okay? We're supposed to give the gospel to every creature. So I'll just hand them a track out the window. Close enough. I gave them the gospels on the back. I gave him the gospel, and is that enough? No, it's not. Because the truth of the matter is, God says we're supposed to give the gospel to everyone we meet. If I only give the gospel to those people I can drive away from really fast, I missed it. Yep, don't, don't, don't be all pious. Everybody does it. None of us want to stop and talk to people and take time out of our day. Why? Because, well, we have things to do. But the truth of the matter is, have we revised what God told us to do. Or maybe, maybe we say, well, you know, it's okay for me to watch this TV show because there's only a few cuss words. There's only one bad scene in this movie. There's only a few ish topics. Or maybe I'm going to listen to this music over here. Why? Because I like it. You know, they don't have any bad words in it. And so it's okay. And I, the, the person that sings this, I know, I read on the internet one time that they made a profession of faith. Either he's Lord of our life or he's not. Now, I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. Because it's so easy for us to get distracted. And to get, well, is it really that big a deal? It is. If our Savior died for your sin and for my sin, it's that big of a deal. Are we revisionists? And then look at chapter number three. You ever met anybody who doesn't, I'm trying to think how to phrase this correctly so it doesn't sound wrong. Have you ever met anybody who doesn't understand how wicked they are? We've all met somebody like that. Who, what they view in their life, oh, it's not that bad compared to my neighbor. He's a drunk and a drug addict. I'm okay. Right? Compared to my friends growing up, I'm still alive, so I must have been doing okay. All these comparison things that we use. Look at verse number 7. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, wherein shall we return? What are you talking about, God? We're the same place we were 20 years ago. Really? You mean 20 years ago when we finished the walls and we rebuilt the temple and the priests had been cleansed and the people were worshiping God? You're the same place then as you were now? Well, yeah. Either they're not being honest or they just don't see it. What's the problem? 
these people, quite honestly, have become rebellious. They're rebellious. God, I don't care what the law is. I don't care what your word says. I'm going to do this because I'm okay with this. When we set ourselves up as the judge of right and wrong, we have taken the power that God only should have. And we say, I know what's best for me. I know what I should do. I know what's right in this situation. Unless God's told you, you're wrong. Why? Because we ought to seek God's face to find wisdom. We ought to seek for him, as the Bible says, for hidden treasure. And yet, these Israelites, in chapter number 3, say, we haven't gone anywhere. God, we're still going to the temple. We're still offering sacrifices. We still keep all the feasts. What else is there? I don't know, maybe a relationship with God. Because, see, we, as Christians today, can get up in the morning, get our Bible out, read our passage for the day, close our Bible, pray for a couple minutes, say, Lord, I did what I'm supposed to do. Check. And now I can go about my day. Growing up in college, I worked at a retail facility. And the gentleman, there's three or four of us that worked, most of the time him and I worked together, is from Jamaica. right? And so sitting there, middle of the night, Unloading trucks, waiting for the next truck to show up. You have dead time. And we'd get talking. And invariably, he'd come around to religious things. You know why? Because his mom was a Baptist preacher in Jamaica. All right, now, okay, issues with that, but he knew his Bible. And so I asked him, I said, how long have you been in America? He said, four or five years. He said, I love America. I said, I can understand. It's a great country. I said, do you have a church you go to? And he said, no. I said, your mom's a Baptist preacher and you don't go to church? He said, no, I don't like American churches. I said, really? That's interesting. Why not? He said, I had a problem. I started visiting American churches. You know what I found out? The same people that I would sit next to in church on Sunday morning and church on Sunday night are the same people I would see in the bar on Monday night. Now, I had some smart aleck responses. What are you doing in the bar? If you weren't in the bar, you wouldn't see them. Doesn't fix the problem. But you know, he's got a point. If we come to church and worship God on Sundays and we say, wow, praise the Lord, amen, what a great Sunday we had. We get in the car tomorrow morning and we crank the rock music on and yell at people going down a highway. We become Pharisees. You say, oh, Mr. Davies, I listen to good music and I don't yell cuss words. But you think them. You know how I know? Because if you didn't get saved real early, they're in there. And they come out when you're on the highway. Trust me, I know. Why? Because have you seen the people driving on the highway? All right? But the truth of the matter is what? We're rebellious where? Where does rebellion begin? In here. And if we're going to be right with God, we've got to root out that rebellion. And if that means we have to go hunting for it, we have to go hunting for it. The, the truth of the matter is, these, the nation of Israel had departed from the law of the Lord for so long, they just didn't see it. They didn't know how bad it was. When we get to that point where God says, why have you strayed away from me? He says, oh, I haven't strayed away from you. Really? Turn over to Proverbs chapter 14. Keep your finger here in Malachi. Look at Proverbs chapter 14.
Proverbs chapter 14. You know this verse. Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Look at verse 14. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. The children of Israel didn't know. Why? They weren't in tune with God. They were living life as they chose. And they had drifted so far, they didn't realize how far they had gone. Here's the blessing. You look at verse number 7. We find out before this question is even thrown back at God, God says something that should bring us hope. We'll come back and talk about, talk about this. He said, if you return to me, I will return to you. There's a promise of reconciliation. We find the New Testament version of that in 1 John 1, 9. You confess your sins, God's faithful, and He is just, and He will forgive your sin. Why? Because He said He would. We want to make sure that we're not revisionists, and in our heart we are not rebellious against God. But then look at verse number 8. Don't get nervous. We're not preaching on giving too much. Verse number 8. Will a man rob God? That is a rhetorical question. Okay? Yet, ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? And God says, in tithes and offerings. What's another thing we need to be careful of? Area number seven, refusal. Any Christian who knows their Bible knows God commands us to give. Now, I've met young Christians just saved, didn't know. But once we, this is what the Bible says, okay. But you know who has the worst problem giving? Not young Christians, old Christians. Well, you know, I'm on a fixed income. Oh, well, you know, I had to fix the car this week, and so I guess God's going to have to get a pay cut. Well, you know, I meant to give that money, but, you know, I forgot. Well, well I was going to do it online. But then I got busy. You know, honestly, we look at this, and yes, we are, just as well as the Israelites, we're supposed to bring money to church and give it to God. If that's what God's saying to you tonight, you ought to obey. There you go. That's our money preaching for the night. But you know what else? Money's not all that God's after. You, you remember we talked about ritualism? I find a whole lot of Christians including this one. I'll write the check. Got paid Friday, Sunday morning. First cut out of the check goes to God. That's what we we're taught. That's what we do. I write the check, and I feel like, that. okay, cool. So I can do what I want now, right? Because I paid my tithe. I can spend the rest of my money however I want. Why? Because I gave God his money. He's good. I rubber stamped it. Boom, we're good. But God doesn't want just your money. What's he want? He wants you. He wants you. He wants your heart to be knit with His. He wants your feet to go where He tells you to go. He wants your heart to be focused on what He wants. He wants your mouth to sing His praises. 
He wants your money to spread the gospel, but you have to spread the gospel too. You see, this giving is not, it is not just about money. Look at verse number 10. It says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. And I said, well, bring all the money in, boys. Everybody came to church this morning. I hope you have God's money. Put it in the offering plate. Here we go. All right? That's, no. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Don't miss this. What do you have to do to bring your money to church? Don't think too hard. You have to be here. You can't show up before Sunday school, drop your money in the offering, and run. Okay? You have to be here. It's not just about the money. God wants you. God wants you to be involved. God wants you to be active. God wants you to know why you do what you do for Him. But a lot of times it's like, you know what, God? No. You see, you would say no to God. Don't look at me like that. You do too. Now, we wouldn't say it out loud, right? Because that's no-no. But in our heart... Every one of us has that little three-year-old toddler that stomps his foot and says, No! And God says, What? I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. And then we just do what we want. The truth of the matter is, when we refuse to obey clear commands from God, that leads us directly away from God. It's obedience or distance. See, God demands that we give of ourselves, not just financially, but physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We ought to pour into not just the people around us, but those that we don't know. Our faithful obedience returns again to us in many forms. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse number 1 says, Cast your bread upon the waters, and it shall return after many days. What's it saying? Go get your loaf of bread, chuck it in the stream, we'll see what happens. No. God is talking about generosity. Generosity is always repaid by God. There ought never to be a time where Christians are like, well, I don't really think what they're doing is right, so I'm not going to... I did some research on him, and did you know that he believes that the King James Bible is okay, but it's not great? So I'm not giving him any money. He's a missionary. God put it on your heart? You going to argue with God? No, I'm not saying that we should just support anybody. We're going to give our money to the Salvation Army and the Red Cross and everybody else. But we ought to give. Why? Because God directs our heart. And God says, hey, that person over there needs me. There's sometimes that we're a blessing to people. We'll never see a dime of it back. But what do we do? We give because God told us to. We bless that person. Maybe we see a homeless person. I'm not saying you need to take the homeless person down home to your house. All right, feed them a home-cooked meal. All right, that's maybe, maybe not a good choice. Okay? But what should we do? We ought to have the compassion that our Savior had and say that person needs Jesus. You say, but I'll be wasting my money if I give them money because they're going to take it and spend it on drugs, spend it on alcohol. That's possible. But is that going to be your excuse to God? Well, God, I didn't give that person you told me to because I knew they were going to spend it on drugs and alcohol. Heard a story this weekend. You ladies that went to the, uh, the ladies' meeting. A lady who helped out a person who was struggling. Time passes. That person gets saved and starts working with 
the lady who gave the gospel, whose daughter was struggling with drugs and alcohol, starts bringing her to church. You say, really, that happens? It really happens. Go ask my wife. She'll tell you the story of the story that she heard this weekend. I can't tell you it all because I only heard it once. Okay. But have we robbed God? Okay, so I can understand, kind of, robbing someone else. Brother Frank's sitting there, his wallet falls out of his pocket, and he comes back to get it after church, and I swipe all the $3 that he has in his wallet, all right? And he comes back and gets it. God knows I stole it. Brother Frank thought, oh, I wonder what happened to those $3. That's not what I'm talking about. I steal from Brother Frank. What's the worst that's going to happen? Fight me right now, okay, right? You steal from God? Where are you going to run? Not only does he know where you're at, he knows what you did. Case in point, Achan. When we refuse to do what God tells us to do, we always inherit the consequences. And then last of all tonight, verse number 13, a reversal. Verse number 13, chapter number 3, Malachi, your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, what have we spoken so much against thee? God answers in verse 14, ye have said, it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. I don't want you to raise your hand. You've thought this. Man, I'm over here doing what God tells me to do. And that neighbor over there who I know is a drunk who's cheating on his wife, who's a lazy worker, just got a new truck. What's the point of serving God if all the wicked people around me are getting the stuff? Thought that? You have too. Maybe it wasn't a truck. Maybe it was a new shotgun. Maybe it was whatever. But what's the, what's the problem? We say, this is what God wants me to do, and I'm going to be doing it, but look, Look at what they got, and they got, and this guy over here got, and this people over here. And I'm, I'm just struggling to put two pennies together. You say, you know what? It's not worth it. It's not worth it to serve God. You've met people who used to go to church, who used to be faithful, used to sing in the choir, used to preach, and now they don't even go to church. You say, what happened? Well, I got hurt. Okay, what happened? Well, I had this one person. They just treated me, treated me bad. Okay, what happened? And you keep asking questions. You know what to find out? Somebody said they don't like your tie. And so that's why you quit going to church. Somebody said, well, I don't want you sitting in my pew. And so that's why you stopped going to church. You know, I've never found anybody who stopped going to church for a good reason. I've, I've talked to some people who stopped going to church that I could understand. All right? But the truth of the matter is, you didn't come to church to worship them. You came to worship God. So if they're here and they're having an attitude, it's a good thing they're here. They need it. And so do you. So sit down and worship God with them. But what do we do? We, we, we reverse against God. We say, God, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. This is so hard. Now, we've talked about these eight different areas. You know why? Reversal is such a big battle for me. You say, you're preaching and you have issues with reversal? Uh-huh. You know why? I struggle with contentment. 
That's where it is. What's the opposite of reversal? This is free thankfulness. It's one of the reasons why at our house every night we gather all the children in one of the rooms of the house, depending on which one all the kids are in usually. And we do what we call thankfulness. What happened today that you're thankful for? Why? Because a couple years back we had so much complaining, starting with the leader, that I began to notice. And I thought, we've got to do something. We've got to do something to realign our focus on God. My wife and I, uh, it was probably five years ago, went on a way, away on a trip together, and we saw a plaque. It hangs now in our house right there when you walk in the door, and it's big letters. It says, Gratitude. And underneath it says, when we trust God for what we have. Right? Gratitude makes... Go ahead, dear. Well, we have enough. Thank you. I didn't get the words right. I apologize. I read it all the time. Gratitude makes what we have enough. So, Brother Johnny, if it's rice and beans time, it's enough. And if it's steak and potato time, it's enough. But it's contentment. Why? Because I'm trusting God. I'm not trusting me. You see, when we view God, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be irreverent, when we view God as the big man in the sky, the great spirit, instead of our savior and our friend and our brother, we can't be thankful. We can't. And so some thoughts for you tonight. Now, we went through the book of Malachi today. You say, but we didn't cover chapter number four. I know. That's my favorite chapter. There was no questions in that chapter, so we couldn't talk about it. There's three things I want you to think of. First of all, if you look in chapter 3, verse number 7, God promises to return if we'll turn back to Him. It's an unconditional promise. It's a promise, you turn, I'm there. That means if tonight God's spoken to you about something, or this morning God's spoken to you about something and said, I know I need to get that right. Don't, don't be worried about God saying, yeah, yeah, you need to get it right. You better get up here and pray. Or so help me. Nope, that's not the God we serve. The God we serve stands there and says, have I not done enough? My son wasn't enough? Come, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. God promises to be there as soon as we turn around. We may slip and slide away from God for years, but it takes one moment of confession and turning around. God's there, right there waiting for us. Number two, if we look at verse number 16 of chapter number three, read this with me. Malachi chapter three, verse number 16. Then they that feared the Lord spake often to one another. Hey, don't miss that one. We may come back and preach on verse 16. Those that feared the Lord spake often to one another, welcome to church. And the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought on his name. Where was the book of remembrance written? They didn't write the book. God wrote the book, and it sat there before God. These people fear me. 
Verse 17, And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Verse 18, Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth not. Understand, there will always be a faithful remnant that stands together against wickedness, always. There was in Israel's day, there is in our day. If we're, if we're right and we serve God, we're a part of that remnant. But just like in Israel's day, there's part of that remnant that, oh yes, we're going to serve God, and then as time goes on, they wander far away from God. So first of all, God promises to return to us if we return to Him. Second of all, there will always be a faithful remnant. Number three, and don't miss this, this is the point, this is the thesis statement of Malachi. Repent and return because the Messiah is coming. Christ's return is coming very soon. Now in Malachi's day, they were looking forward to the first coming of Jesus. 400 years, give or take, after the book of Malachi is written, Jesus is born. I would be surprised. I won't be here, but I'd be surprised if it takes 400 years for Jesus to come back. Why? Look around. If there's ever a day where we need Christians that are right with God, that love God, that have cleansed their heart in confession before God and have spent their life striving to live for what really matters in, in eternity, we ought to be it. So some questions for you to ask yourself tonight. Is my spiritual life active? Or am I just going through the motions? Maybe, do I worship God in truth? Or am I just doing actions? Am I what God wants me to be? Probably most pressing the question that we need to ask ourselves is, am I ready to come face to face with my Redeemer? If I'm not... Now's the time to get ready. Maybe today you've never come to Christ to accept His free gift of salvation. If that's you, you don't find a better time than now. Well, I'm not quite ready. Quite ready doesn't matter. If Jesus died to pay for your sins, then you have a choice today, and it's a yes or no choice. It's not a maybe or wait. The devil's the one who tells us to wait to serve God, wait to accept Him. Today is the day of salvation. If you're a Christian... God's tapped on your heart tonight. Hey, this is an area you need to work on. Let's get right with God. We have to make every moment count in our life.